0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Technical Roundup. Today, we are speaking to Paolo Arduino, who is the CTO of Bitfinex and Tether. We will be speaking about Bitfinex and Tether. So, Paolo, thank you for coming to speak to us. How's it going?
1: Thank you very much for having me today. Um, All is going really well. Uh, Thank you very much
0: great duck all good on your radar as well i
2: assume perfect yeah very excited about this one
0: excellent so i want to ask about we'll start with talking about bitfinex for those listening around the time of the recording bitfinex is back on everyone's radar Uh, and it seems like when things get scary or the market reaches these important inflection points uh bitfinex kind of dominance goes up and how much it leads goes up as well very much becomes a public eye Type of exchange, the exchange to follow. Um, Recently, there's been you know this big shorts and big longs on Bitfinex. The Bitfinex whales dominating activity. Uh, It really becomes the topic of the week, day, month, whatever it may be. Uh, Why do you think that is? That Bitfinex really picks up uh, its sort of market share importance when it comes to either important periods or just low volume periods, generally. So
1: this is really a good question. Um Bitfinex was born in 2012 and accrued over time a quite big amount of whales and super wealthy customers. So um these uh, this, this type of customers have uh, you know big maybe bitcoin bitcoin supporters, big ethereum supporters and uh, so you you can see definitely more focus on um let's say early uh, cryptocurrencies well of course bitcoin uh the best one and all you know the earliest ones right so we have these ogs on different all the top cryptocurrencies and they they find in bitfinex um huge liquidity so they they love trading there um you have seen you know one of these whales that was able to accrue a massive short of uh, above Twenty-four thousand Bitcoin in just a matter of uh, probably one day and a half without really moving the market much, right? So that is what they love, and you know they they know that if they can take a position, they can roll their portfolio. Um, they can do it on Bitfinex.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. The deep liquid spot books definitely attract a lot of people. That said, like on the on the topic of like customer clientele, um, a lot of the products you're building and the features you're adding, like swaps, more altcoins, and cross collateralization, recently. Uh, although it doesn't seem like you're necessarily out to take like the average Binance, FTX trader. Um, so, how, you know, who are you targeting with the new stuff and new products that you're bringing in? If the you know the majority or many of your big customers just need the big you know spot books, spot margin books, etc. Um, who who are these new features aimed at? Are you trying to expand towards a more retail oriented audience?
1: So, our um, user base is um, mainly professional. So. Um... You, you made up a good point about uh, our perpetual swaps not having that type of uptake of uh, Binance Wobby. Um, the reason there is that we started extremely low key. Um, we, uh, we put really in front of the users um, a huge and steep KYC requirement from the very beginning, right? We, we launched it in, I think, late 2019. And from the first day, uh, we started blocking uh many jurisdictions and uh, you know you have to be fully verified right so even with bank statements then um so of course that will push more um corporate or you know uh, individual or, or uh, corporate c- verified customers to uh these type of products because they are the ones that go through two type of identification uh bank statements proof of addresses and uh, we our our KYC is extremely thorough i would say higher at a higher standard than a bank so i that that really uh um required us to push much more on it to get a little bit of uh, traction. i think that recently we are seeing for in certain days the the um, perps volume is um um going above beyond the, 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 the spot volume that is quite interesting so but yeah definitely what we the type of customer we are targeting is still professional customers um, also we believe that uh, with the new regulatory requirements that will come out um, in in the next you know months or years it will become more clear that uh, perps will be seen more and more as products that should be only provided to uh, accredited investors and professional traders.
2: Yeah, I mean, I kind of see it the same way. I mean, you guys have been kind of like very, very heavy on the KYC stuff. Do you think you kind of you're going to get an uptick of customers once like every other exchange does the same thing? Because like what we've been seeing is kind of Binance and Pretty much anyone in the space has to go down the KYC route now. Like you were a little bit early. um, Now, like other exchanges are following suit. Do you think, like at that point, it's gonna tick up, or do you think that's just gonna be like something that everyone has to deal with, and people are still gonna stay with the exchanges that they trade on now? I believe that uh, you know there is uh, this
1: upcoming uh, FATCA uh, that is the travel rule. So. I, I think that uh, the uh, the regulatory requirements will go up ex- quite soon for exchanges right so we have seen the um, uh, european union talking about new rules for uh, sending crypto transactions across right so that basically means that uh, on centralized exchanges everyone will need to be verified so um when it will become full low and in, in uh, fully active, that will mean that all the exchanges will have to rush in, in find solutions. The, if I can segue in in our approach there, just because I think this is quite interesting, if you don't mind. Um, we are, um, when it comes to the travel rule, we are actually working with um, an internal group and um, we are forming a joint venture because we believe that there is a way to uh, do it in a privacy uh, oriented way so that uh, you know there are plenty of products that try and tend to solve the travel rule uh, that uh, that um are basically KYC sharing networks. We believe that there are better ways, like, uh, you know, a decentralized network where each user can, in effect, is in effect control of the, his own KYC information and can decide which fields, what to share and which with which exchange. So, we, I believe that is, uh, the, there are a, a quite interesting approaches. Of course, is kind of a um, uh, difficult turn for, for centralized exchanges that uh, didn't have this requirement, of course, in the past. So um, there are a um, lot of customers that uh, that will need to be verified or to will need to provide additional documentation, because you know there are different on many exchanges. Uh, you know, Bitfinex has been extremely thorough uh, in, in the past, but there are some exchanges that require really sh- smaller, they they, mm, they privileged um, reduced type of verif- verification. So th- there. There might be the necessity of uh, of um, stepping up the rules for everyone. So, but I believe that to, to answer your question, sorry for the long uh, story. Um, I believe that it eventually, um, you the, the users that feel comfortable with one exchange and they're happy with, uh, with with the specific exchange will remain on that on that exchange, as long as of course that exchange will uh, set up itself to be able to coordinate uh, and uh, be part of uh, this uh, travel rule system with uh, with all the other changes. right? For example, if um, Bitfinex wouldn't support sending uh, withdrawals to Coinbase or Binance, that would be quite bad for Bitfinex. Right? So there is this type of reaction trying to understand uh, which type of technologies we have to support. And the weird thing and super annoying thing from a technological point of view is that there is not one solution there will be no one single travel rules solution that will reign over all of them so as an exchange developer i have to support likely three four five six different solutions because maybe you know coinbase will use one binance will and wabi will use another one ftx might use another one and so on right so and the more, the broader this, this community will, this, this industry will, will become, it's likely the, this num- number of, um, of solutions will, will mm, there will be more and more of these solutions, like you, maybe, yeah, I don't know, log, log n number of solutions.
0: No, thank you for that detailed answer. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some sort of streamlining or collaboration eventually among the centralized exchanges when it comes to solving uh, this uh, applicable, you know, this law that applies to everyone. Uh, but you also mentioned that like, you know, some some exchanges have been ahead of the curve, some have been a bit slower. Um, I've always found interesting how B- Bitfinex does have this tendency to reach um, these things a bit earlier than some other exchanges. So the specific example I have in mind For this question is like for example lightning network right as far as i'm aware you support lightning network deposits withdrawals conversions and are getting some traction with those whereas as you all of course recall for other exchanges not only are they reluctant to support lightning network but more generally stuff like SegWit addresses batch transactions so not not to clog up the network all of those things which were already you know ready to ship for quite long periods of time uh took quite a while to get some of the big boys moving uh, in that direction, why do you think there's this general uh, reluctance among centralized exchanges to adopt some of this, some of these working tools, which will make life easier for their customers? I mean, Lightning Network is one example, but I mentioned, you know, SegWit, batching transactions, and maybe even the KYC stuff you mentioned as well.
1: So, when it comes to uh, Lightning Network or um, SegWit or, or Liquid. So there are, um, I think that the, my, my motto is, you know, we are all born with Bitcoin in this community. This industry is all born, born with Bitcoin. So what type of, you know, exchanges, what type of services, what type of um, um, uh, respect we, we show to, you know, to who allow our to, to this technology that allowed us to, to strike. I have to, you know, to, to grow businesses um, if we don't support technologies earlier, right? Technologies that are quite important for this longer-term success of Bitcoin. So Latin Network is is beautiful. Is how a micropayment system should be built, right? Because you can achieve hundreds of thousands of transactions maybe in the future on a single blockchain, but even that is not sufficient if you have 7 billion people using it right so the only way is to go full peer-to-peer where if i send a transaction to don you don't need necessarily to to see it and vice versa if i send a transaction to ukraine i don't shouldn't see that because you know is peer-to-peer um payments where peers are actually peers like i'm a peer you're a peer don is a peer and when and when it comes to kyc i believe that is just being you know, it's just to be extremely proactive, you know, uh, Bitfinex went through um, many hoops and we want to stay ahead of the curve because we have seen that it's extremely more beneficial to be proactive in that sense.
2: Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, in general, like circling back to like, just in general Bitfinex, um, something that I've seen a lot kind of misrepresented um, is the, the long short kind of data that you guys provide. So for the people that don't know you, Bitfinex offers like a long short kind of chart where you can see how much longs, how much shorts are there. And then people always get confused and kind of transfer that over to like saying, okay, the market is like more long than short. Um, Could you like quickly explain how like the long short charts or in general the data works in comparison to other exchanges because there's quite a difference there right
1: yeah well um first of all Bitfinex has a peer-to-peer lending market so um you know some exchanges so in know let's start from from the leverage right so if you want to go um let's say short with this usd you have to borrow Um, you have to borrow BTC um, and you are actually going, so you are short in BTC, so you have to borrow BTC and you are going long USD. So um, in order to do that, it means that you are selling some BTC that you don't have. So the way it works is that you have to borrow those BTC from the peer-to-peer lending market or from a lending market, or in general from someone that has those BTC that you don't have. Now, some exchanges decided to go with the traditional, let's say, centralized lending. So uh, they could, you know, they offer some uh, fixed interests on uh, customer deposits in order to provide the, the short traders the um, BTC um, to be sold um, on the on the market as a short position. the 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 approach of Bitfinex was always. uh, let's try to mimic what our industry is, right? It's all about peer-to-peer. I said the same thing with Lightning Network. So actually, we don't want to be a central bank. So BTNX is not a central bank. allows people, there is an actual market, a peer-to-peer lending market where uh, you can see it as an order book where people can post, lenders can post uh, BTC lending offers and borrowers that want to maybe... uh, Borrow BTC and short it can hit those offers and use those um, those BTC that have been borrowed to be sold on the market as a BTC USD short position. So what we are offering is a uh, a real time or well is a um, you know minute by minute aggregated um, figure on uh, longs versus shorts. So you can see how many longs are open per pair. And how many shorts are open per pair? And also, what I like is that we are also also offering uh, giving a lot of stats for this peer-to-peer lending market. So we are showing how much uh, uh, total fu- how much total funding has been requested, opened, and maybe returned over a certain period of time. So I like data. So uh, and I like uh, transparency of data. I don't like to sell this data. I like that people can use this data to build cooler algorithms and more performing algorithm, algorithms.
0: That's, that makes a lot of sense, yeah, and I think it's a very misunderstood metric, but it does come back to the point of freely available data, uh, but of course it comes with no guarantee that people will be able to interpret it correctly. Um, the, the peer-to-peer lending thing is really interesting. Uh, there's been a trend in the past kind of, I don't know, year, year and a half, Uh, of kind of C-Defi, like centralized, decentralized finance. But basically the idea that instead of going to like Aave or Maker, uh, if you're a customer of a large centralized exchange, um, instead of using those protocols, you can basically natively lend your stable coins or your crypto in some cases and receive yield depending on, you know, the state of the market or whatever's being offered by the exchange. Uh, Could you maybe talk about a little bit, you know, Maybe more generally, or even in Bitfinex's case, where do these yields come from in DeFi products? And then maybe how closely are they tied to the market being risk on or off? Like I know from personal experience, in FTX, for example, market's really bullish. There's a real demand to be long crypto, uh, and yields are higher. And then when everything gets crushed, it you know the the, the yield you can get also gets crushed. Um, so where do you land on the whole DeFi discussion?
1: So, um, I well, first of all, I see I have seen some similarities with uh, what you're saying about FTX with Bitfinex on the, for example, on the USD market. So when everyone, so if you are opening a BTC USD long position, it means that you are long in BTC and you are short in USD, so you have to borrow USD. So what you have already seen during, you know, the first uh, five months of the year, a huge demand for dollars that was pushing the uh, yearly uh, return, uh, interest return on, uh, ar- around 18%, if I recall correctly. Um, nowadays, the the interest rates are much lower just because there are, um, no, the, we have plenty of whales that are waiting on, on the sidelines for, in our, um, specific example. So, um, so yeah, and I think that, uh, one thing that could be interesting, in my opinion, reg- regarding the CDFI aspect is that actually uh, someone could build an integration where, well, there are two ways, right? So w- we could build as an exchange an integration with some DeFi protocols like, uh, you know, pre-mave or, or such that, so that uh, you can, um, traders can actually borrow from uh, either the centralized uh, lending order book or the peer-to-peer lending, or, uh, lending books as for Bitfinex or they can lend directly from um, DeFi projects like like um, uh, Sorry, Cream and um, and um, and Abe. So that could be an interesting one. I believe that uh, it would definitely uh, in increase more the usage of those um, lending pools, and hence will k- help to maintain more stable um, the yields. But you know the um, I think that. It- in moments like the one that we are living now in, I mean, I see a lot of people on the sidelines, so it's completely reasonable and expected that yields are going to be crashed because just, you know, no one will ever borrow at, uh, you know, 18% per year uh, USDT in large amounts uh, or, or any other stable coin or, or BTC is just, you know, there, the, there is not enough volatility to, to make that money back. While, you know, uh, when we have seen um, in, um, in December or January you know the volatility was enough the market was was so bullish that you can you could basically take short-term risk in terms of interest but the upside was much higher.
2: yeah so generally speaking whenever the market moves a lot um, preferably to the upside people like to kind of get more of it so they are happy to pay quite quite a steep amount right yeah I mean that makes sense. Um, It's nice to kind of hear about like the the inner workings of of Bitfinex. Um, Something very, very close to Bitfinex that has been like under a lot of controversy has been Tether, right? It's basically, you see it on on Twitter, you see it on Facebook nowadays where people just like, they have no idea what they're talking about in some cases. Where they, they go off on, okay, crypto isn't to be trusted because of Tether. Now, could you give us, like, a quick overview of what it is and what, it, what its purpose is um, and what it kind of does for the crypto ecosystem, um, before we go in a little bit into depth of, like, the whole controversy and everything surrounding it? Sure. So, Tether is a stablecoin. Actually, Tether created the entire
1: market of stablecoins in 2014 with uh, USDT. Um, the reason to create Tether uh, USDT was um, you are a trader uh, and you in 2014, in, 2000, in 2013 and 2014, you were a trader and you were trading on different venues. Um, so you have to, in order to, you were seeing that on different venues, the price of Bitcoin was lagging a lot. You were seeing a lot of a, a big spreads, right? Um, in the end was the first moment Bitcoin uh, broke the um, one thousand dollars record, if, if not wrong? And um, at some point, we could see that the spreads were thirty percent, and there is a good reason for that because in you you need market makers. Market makers are the type of traders, and arbitrageurs are the type of traders that. Know, sell Bitcoin where on the venue where the price is higher, and buy it back on the where the venue on the venue where the price is lower, and keeping doing this more and more and more efficiently, they will keep the prices of the different trading venues close. So in order, but in order to do that, uh, you have to uh, be you have to be able to move, of course, Bitcoin from one venue to another, but also you have to be able to move dollars from one venue to another. So uh, you send Bitcoin onto the venue where the price is higher, and you send dollars onto the venue where the price is lower. Simple is really a, a simple uh, thing, uh, but sending sending Bitcoin takes uh, ten minutes, right? So the block time, the average block time is around ten minutes. So in ten minutes, you can you can you you can uh, have a nice you can exploit a nice uh, Juicy uh, Arbitrage opportunity. But with um, with dollars was not that easy. With dollars, you had to send dollars from one trading venue to another, and it would take you know one day, five days, and the, the, the arbitrage was gone, or maybe it was reversed. So the the super simple idea of that was okay. But why we cannot put dollars on the blockchain and use the same technology that Bitcoin uses? That's crazy simple, right? So um, that w- that uh, is how it was born because uh, in that way you could keep arbitraging across venues for and, and make it these arbitrage extremely efficient. So long story short, Bitfinex adopted. Um, so Tether developed, um, was developed in 2014 beginning of 2015 and a uh, no, few exchanges uh, among which Bitfinex of course were the first adopters of, of, um, of Tether. Um, so uh, Tether was born on the Omnilayer um, that is a color coin uh, blockchain that is relying on Bitcoin security um, and uh, uh, from there uh, in 2016 was uh, I think adopted Tether was adopted by Poloniex so you could start seeing arbitrages between Poloniex and uh, Bitfinex 2017 also, Wobby, OKX started adopting tether, so and the Binance was born on tether. So you could see more and more arbitrage opportunities, and actually all the new trading pairs were tether first, right? Not not a dollar, and not even Bitcoin anymore. Uh, where they were tether uh, tether first, and then you know it became you know Kraken and, uh, um, and more, most recently, amazingly, Coinbase and Bitstamp um uh, joined uh, and well uh, started supporting tether uh trading pairs uh, and that that's great so um yeah i think that's the the, the simple idea behind tether is that you know you, you want to move dollars with the same speed with the same security and level transparency that you have on a block uh, that you have with bitcoin so you I mean, blockchains are transparent. Big blockchains like Bitcoin and blockchain is transparent. You can see movements from you know one address to another and so on. And um, that was the simple beginning made by Tether.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's always nice to hear about the history and the subsequent development. And you know, as you mentioned, trading now compared to how trading was looks completely different. Uh, and while the stablecoin market itself has grown a lot and continues to grow. Uh, Recently, the Tether's kind of share of the stablecoin market has been in decline. Uh, You know, there are others on on the market and, you know, USDC being the big one, especially with uh, its association and widespread use in DeFi. Do you think the decline in Tether's relative market share is permanent? Uh, And what do you think some of the reasons are that people are starting to use uh, other options or competitors?
1: so uh, so um that's a good question i i'm not i don't know if it is uh, permanent or not right but one important point to make is that um as a stable coin so being the only stable coins let's say that you are just to keep things simple you are 60 or you are yeah you are 60 and the second one is 1 you are basically, everyone will only see you, right? The, everyone will focus their attention on you, and uh, you are basically the only target. Um, that's that's not great because, you know, you have to talk to regulators, you have to deal with, um, you know, you have to push forward in the industry. And being, um, having more, more and more stable coins is, believe it or not, uh, wearing tether shoes is quite important. You want to have a, an industry with you and not just be the, the, uh, uh, an only voice, uh, sorry, a lonely voice. You want to you want to be able to make the case that uh, um, there are other stable coins, they have different value propositions, they have different metolo- methodologies, uh, but the concept is the same. Is a dollar or a fiat currency on a blockchain Uh, And um, eventually, this industry has to be respected, received by regulators, and properly regulated because, you know, we, I believe, among all the stablecoins issuers, we are all in favor of uh, regulations because when Tether started, there was no regulation, and now um, um, regulators are taking this field seriously, as we have seen in the latest news. So, you know, when people say, yeah, everyone else will eat your lunch... um, I'm saying, well, you know, I I like to be first, of course. I like that Tether is the biggest one, but uh, you can be the biggest one being, you know, maybe um, just uh, 30% of the market, right? Because we are seeing also BUSD is making wonders. It's, it grew a lot recently, and um, uh, so Paxos is, seems to be doing a really good job. Uh, USDC has grown a lot, and uh, I think that is uh, is quite important that they they they, they succeed as well. So, um, contrary to what people might think, uh, we, we are glad to see this, this happening. Of course, we are doing our best to remain the first one. Um, it would be, um, uh, incorrect to say that, you know, we, 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 we are not caring, uh, about our dominance. We are actually caring, but we care that we, um, we are, um, you know, there, there are 34, there, there are 34 big uh, stable coins out there is extremely extremely important um i think that um eventually um tether will uh, continue to grow um i think that there are different value propositions as, as you said um USDC is big in DeFi. um there are uh, they launched some products like the four percent return and so on definitely that is helpful in, in you know uh, let's let's uh, do a step back we are in a particular moment in crypto where the markets and the volatility is quite calm. Um, uh, the markets are quite calm in general. You have seen the volume shrink a lot across the changes. So that is uh, centralized exchanges is where Tether uh, strive, where, where we got the majority of the adoption. Um, so uh, I think it is uh, reasonable to expect that uh, uh, Tether got a slowdown in this moment while on the in in these moments again um if you have uh, yield um uh, providing products uh like uh, you know that 4% thing that uh, that the USDC had uh, that's that's definitely a way to 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 boost um, the uh, the market cap uh, and um because when the market the, the markets are um slowing down uh, everyone is going is looking at uh, you know the lending part when the markets are in bull mode. They everyone wants to have their assets free in order to decide quickly what they want to do with it. So I, you know, I honestly I'm not scared. I to uh, see that we we are not growing this moment. I think it's just you know people were saying the same thing in 2019, 2018, 2020. So uh, we have always uh, some slowdowns, and we you know we went in two years from. 60 so from two billion to 62 billion.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially the argument about you know the lending borrowing when one is more attractive than the other uh, is helpful. And I also believe in a, a multi stablecoin future. But of course, the you know the elephant in the room uh, is that if you're having dollars on the blockchain, uh, the base assumption is that, as far as I'm aware. Uh, one, USDT is therefore backed by one dollar and also redeemable by one dollar, right? And so if if a normal person kind of thinks, okay, what proof is there that these, um, that USDT and USD has this uh, backing or relationship, they might, for example, uh, look to some sort of uh, audit, right? Now, when I I listened to Stuart on CNBC quite recently, who said that uh, that you're working on an audit uh, and that's months away. And that would be really cool of course, my mind immediately goes to the not so um, distant past where Friedman LLP was hired uh, to perform an audit as well. And then that ended up in the I think, you know, that relationship was dissolved. So could you give some perspective on that? Is there a chance that the uh, audit that Stuart said is coming in months, not years, uh, falls through as well? Or is this like a definitive uh, step you guys are planning to take in the near future? So I think that is the c-
1: critical thing here is that in the last uh, six months, we settled with the NIAG. We performed successfully two attestations. That is uh, extremely important. Um, that is, you know, the first step to to get to a full audit, right? So you, uh, that the attestation is, um, process is the common thing among uh, all the, the other stable coins, right? That is, uh, the way uh, you are contracting with an independent um, third party that reviews um, uh, the, you know, the, the balance sheet and the, the outstanding tethers. And uh, basically, they are confirming that, uh, that um, every, um, all the tether tokens are fully backed. So, uh, of course, um, the a full audit is much, much more thorough and also, importantly, go back in time. So what we hope is to be as too said in his interview, we hope to go back in time two years um, and uh, start, of course, looking at the future. So um, I think that we are and an, and another thing that I forgot is that after the attestation, we were the first one uh, to release the breakdown of reserves. Right? We couldn't we could have avoided, but we decided that uh, we we that sh- would that had to be done. Okay, and. Um, um we did it and others are now following and first usdc and now paxo so it, that that's great and we are working towards a full audit so i'm completely um um i, I trust the team uh, tether's team Tether legal team and uh, and accounting team to be able to deliver uh the audit so i have the utmost up, trust in them
0: yeah that, that's good to hear. I mean, a lot of viewers, I'm sure, will be annoyed that we're not relitigating the past, but we're more interested in the present and the future. And I, th- I think for those who do care that much about the past, you know, you can either wait for the audit and you can also read, as you said, the, the NIAG settlement has a good record of that. I do want to, you know, on the on the attestation point, uh, which I think is quite interesting, um, the, you know, the most recent one, there's been a lot of analysis, as you can expect, uh, with the breakdown of the reserves. And effectively, uh, fifty percent was actually commercial paper, and the issuers uh, of that commercial paper and their jurisdictions uh, weren't stated. Right now, you mentioned it's to protect their privacy of of your counterparties, etc. But my understanding is that that's quite an unorthodox position, and of course, subsequently, as a result, there's speculation that the issuers are either overseas or or potentially in jurisdictions affected by capital controls and so on and so forth. Uh, So, when it comes to transparency and combining that with the current uh, attestations that we see, in my mind, that either requires you to kind of shift away from commercial paper or, or and or uh, move towards identifying those counterparties so the risk can be more fully assessed. Um, are you yourself satisfied with 50% commercial paper reserves? And if not, what's your kind of plan to move away from that or make it more transparent?
1: So... First of all, um, you talk, you have talked uh, about uh, ratings. So we are, we actually um, came public with the ratings um, and uh, the vast majority of the commercial papers is A2 or above. And the rating is given by S&P. Well, actually you take S&P, Fitch and Moody's and you take the worst of the two, right? So um, if uh, I might stand corrected, but um, uh, th- that is the, the, the usual and traditional way to do it. And uh, that is what we are doing. Uh, so it's not that the risk is unknown, the rating is out there and we are going one step further and we are adding that, uh, we will be adding that in, um, in the attestation directly. So I think that is a critical step. Um, and again, um, we, uh, we, we did it before anyone else. So uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, there was a um, uh, medium post that we released that was explaining this. Um, second, I think that uh, we are having uh, our portfolio is extremely liquid, and um, um, that allows us to uh, to, to pr- process all the, the redemption requested by the customers. And we never fail to to perform redemption. And there's plenty of people out there, you know, also big ones that you know, that uh, that are public, that said we we are constantly using Tether issuing redeeming. Um, maybe these guys don't have you know um, they're um, they don't have uh, um, APIs to do that, but uh, you know you have to go on Tether.io. There you have to have an account. You have to go through KYC uh you have to um create a initial request and so on is is uh, a little bit elaborate because we want to have full control we want to from a security standpoint so on so that is how we do it, but it's transparent it's there it's public and uh um in the future, i mean there are a lot of talks about regulators saying uh, uh talks about the possibility of regulating uh, regulators asking for releasing publicly um, the portfolio. And we will we will comply with what regulators will require us to do. Um, in the meantime, I think that we proved before anyone else, uh, because I, I still need to see others doing the same thing, uh, that um, more and more steps of, um, towards transparency have been made by Tether.
0: Okay, that makes sense to me. Um... Yeah, there is obviously a slight difference in terms of, you may have been earlier than uh, Paxos, Circle, etc. Or, or, you know, I think that the gold standard for, for most people uh, is kind of Paxos, uh, BUSD, which is kind of Paxos as well, and then the Gemini dollar, the very kind of US centric institutions. But uh, to take your point, as you mentioned, if that if there becomes a requirement to offer like a full like a money market mutual fund would do a full breakdown res- of reserves down to every investment uh, i'm sure people will be reassured to hear um that you'll comply with that don i think you and i discussed before this call you had an interesting angle in terms of uh just all the controversy and maybe kind of regarding what's the end goal or how does uh, tether make money given all this do you want to elaborate on that angle i think it's a really good question for
2: that, that Paolo can address yeah so i mean if you if you hear all that, right, and, I mean, you've been getting a lot of hate for basically supporting Tether, rightfully so or not, right? I mean, that doesn't really matter. Like, why go through all the stress, right? What's what's in it for you? What's in it for Tether? Because, I mean, from my standpoint, from what I've seen is that all you guys have been basically getting is a lot of hate. Um, and um, I want to know, like, what's the payoff? Like, why why do you do it?
1: so um i i disagree on what we got is uh just a lot of hate i mean i think that the critics uh, you know are um are screaming louder than the actual users because you know for for many people is all business as usual right so if um I, we were on cnbc right and one of the um and, and the, the the host said that uh, you know may maybe people don't trust tether. Well, actually, if uh, people don't trust an asset, they will sell it, they will short it, they will, if people when people were believing that uh, tether didn't have all the assets or for the backing. Um, when people were saying that they, you know, loud that they didn't believe it yet, the price stayed one. Now we, uh, at $1, we have the attestation now that shows that uh, we were correct. Um, we were correct there, the backing was there that was there all the time and so on. Um, so I, I basically my long story short, I believe that uh, definitely the critics uh, like to be they they spend all the they don't, you know, they waste all their days in, in screaming really, really hard. Uh, while we have many people, uh, you can count like Adam Beck, Samson, also, you know, other people that um, that use Tether many times, uh, Sam and, uh, uh, you know, um, all the big traders and market makers and so on are using Tether and say it publicly and so on. So we have s- so many supporters. So mm, I-, I usually don't mind about critics. I um, i am a kind of Zen in that sense. I like, uh, you know, I I uh, I that I have that thing in me. I joined, I joined Bitfinex, you know, I... I became CTO of Bitfinex in 2016 with a hack, and I became CTO of Tether in 2017. I, I grew in this company. Um, they, they gave me opportunity to build things that are amazing. To be, they gave me opportunities to contribute to Bitcoin in a way that I couldn't have afforded to, to do, right? So um, I part of the energies, as you pointed out at the beginning of this call, that we have as a company, but also me personally, are devoted to Bitcoin, right? How to uh, to uh, give back to to Bitcoin uh, in order to um, to make it better in in our simple own ways, right? But maybe is uh, um, providing funding for projects that are developing Latin Network or, or uh, you know Archby or any any anything related. Um, so I couldn't have done. That without Bitfinex and Tether, so I'm extremely proud. I know uh, Giancarlo JL and everyone in the and all the developers and everyone in the teams. We grew this company um, from you know 10 employees, 15 employees um, to you know uh, an ad count of uh, almost 200 people. Um, so uh, is is my family um, is the family of many people and i don't like to get bullied if i if we i know that we are correct i know that uh, we are doing we work for with phoenix and Tether we are doing amazing things so if people keep shooting at us i, I honestly don't care i just want to do my job i like coding um, the, the opinion of a couple of trolls or many trolls doesn't matter
0: we sort of start to circle off and ask a couple of more uh, specific questions i have about bitfinex just to summarize for the people who care a lot about uh, the tether segment uh, as far as i'm aware uh, f- from what i've derived from our conversation three kind of main points the first is that Paolo has faith and is actively working on an audit and you know supports what Stuart said that likely months uh, as opposed to years the second point is that the reserves are liquid uh, and the rating of the commercial paper uh, is going to be included in the next attestation. Um, I'm sure that's you know not enough or perfect for some people, but you know whatever that's fine. I think the third point will maybe make those unhappy by the second one makes feel slightly better because Paolo made the point that if there's a regulatory requirement to show a full breakdown of reserves, um, Tether will comply with it. And I think those three points are important. And um, thank you for telling us those in uh, no uncertain terms. If if you've got anything to kind of add to that, uh, feel free. If not, uh, I've got a Bitfinex kind of specific question uh, I'd really like to ask. No, I think that you summarize it well. Um, Thank you for that. Great. Okay. Um, So kind of circling back to the beginning point, really Mm -hmm. 2019, well, 2020 and 2021. uh, It's been quite an innovative year for for a lot of exchanges uh, offering their kind of own products beyond just listing specific trading pairs, um, what do you think is a feature on Bitfinex that users should try out that you th- that you think you do best or isn't available elsewhere? Would it just be the massive kind of liquid spot books or is, is there something else under wraps or slightly off the radar that you think most, most users should check out?
1: So I would say that there is, um, I think that Bitfinex borrow is one interesting one because um, if I can go a little bit in details, um, Bitfinex Borrow is um, coming from um, an idea that uh, uh, Phil um, and um, I, but mainly Phil, I have to be honest, uh, had in 2017-18. Um, so you you know that we have the claiming functionality that is a way, if you have an mar- open margin position, you can, you know, let's say that you are 10 BTC USD long, you can claim your or in full or in part your margin position and you can reduce it to five or two or one or you can claim it all. So the claiming process means that uh, you are uh, mm, getting credited um, BDC and you are debited US dollars. So we thought that um, that that process could be interesting if reversed, right? So uh, because in the end margin positions for exchanges are um, accounting tools um, that um, included with um, um, with the lending markets, of course, they give you the full um, assets versus like the liability specification. So in order to put, perform a full accounting on a creative exchange that over margin, you have to account also for margin position, how much they're borrowing, how much they are, yeah, how much they are locking and borrowing and so on. Um, and uh, on the other side, you have to take into account the lenders and so on. So um, in order uh, to, um, so in the, the, the beauty of the Bitfinex borrow is that we are able to let uh, people borrow funds uh, from the Bitfinex margin lending books or the peer-to-peer of Bitfinex lending books. So for example, if you have a 10, uh, 10 BTC in your wallet, not as a position, but just in wallet, you are. You can have now access to an increased position functionality. The increased position functionality allows you to be debited those um, Bitcoin and credited the, the dollars corresponding, of course, number of Bitcoin multiplied by the ticker price. You get dollars, and you of course you so you get debited BTC, you get credited dollars, um, and uh, you th- will see a margin position for ten. BTCUSD open your account. Okay, why is that interesting? It's interesting because you don't have, in this way, you don't have to say goodbye to your Bitcoin in order to borrow dollars. So you can actually, and since uh, the BTCUSD bo- uh, uh, requirements is up to 10x on Phoenix, on you can actually take out 90% of uh, of the dollars from your margin account and use it to, you know, buy a laptop or whatever. I'm not suggesting people do this. Of course, there is all margin margin uh, and risk management that is extremely important. So you know, do your own research, take care of good care of your position and so on. But it's an actual, a really interesting concept because allows you to open a margin position straight away um, without uh, trading about taking out the BTC that you have in the wallet, for example. And so we package that in a product that is called Bitfinex Borrow that allows you to do that. Of course, on the other, and, and that allows to do exactly that. Um, something that I didn't mention is that of course, if you are um, you have ten BTC in the wallet, you you, in, you use Bitfinex Borrow, you, the the BTC will be taken out um, and your and um, a ten BTC USD position is created and dollars are credited. If you take out those dollars because you want to buy something off the platform, then the system will out to borrow those funds for you from the lending, peer-to-peer lending market. So, this was, in my opinion, the, let's say closing the circle of uh, our beautiful peer-to-peer and margin systems.
2: Yeah, I I, I got to say, like at the, the first time I kind of saw it and did it, I was a little bit confused. But once you get around it, it's actually pretty nice. Um, I still something that a lot of people talk about is whenever like you get these big longs and big shorts open on Bitfinex, right, and then they start disappearing. They're confused. That has to do with exactly that um, mechanism, right? Like when you see these big spikes to the downside. That's then... exactly correct. So, yeah.
1: sorry, I cut you off, but you you are exactly right. Um you see um when for example you see um five thousand bitcoin um short drop or 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 long drop uh, usually um there there are users that are claiming big positions right so it's a really nice uh way to manage your portfolio um and you pay pay maker fees that is that are, um, that are for most of the big traders, are basically zero on Bitfinex or are zero on Bitfinex. Yeah,
2: nice. To kind of round it all up, or like before we start ending the show, do you have any kind of market insight that you're willing to share? Do you, are you like bullish right now, bearish? What do you think is going to happen? Or do you have like no idea and you're just like taking it as it comes?
1: um that's a good question i i think that um we we are def- definitely in a uh, changing period uh, in, as i mentioned earlier so we'll see likely <clears throat> end of 2021 beginning of 2022 a lot of uh, regulatory changes because with adoption uh, with growth of the sector that will be a game changer that can affect and, in my opinion, will affect the market, will affect possibly the volatility and the prices. I'm not sure, sure in which directions. Um, uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but I am I think that we will see some cause effect there.
0: Awesome. I think that's a very good note on which to round off. Uh, we've had a, quite a wide-ranging discussion, lots of Bitfinex specifics that I'm sure people are grateful to have answered. Um, the Tether stuff, of course, um, those three main points that we derive from there, I uh, will be keenly observing those uh, and some spicy market and regulatory insights to round this off. Paolo, thank you very much for making time to speak with us. Uh, it- it's been a pleasure. And Don, thank you for hanging out as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Don, for having me today.
0: Excellent. And to our audience, thank you for listening again to Technical Roundup, brought to you by Blockfolio. We will see you for the next one. Bye-bye. So that was Bitfinex and Tether's Paolo. We decided to add a little segment post-show where the duck and I kind of discuss how the podcast went, our thoughts, for just a few minutes. I thought that was pretty good. It's As I mentioned towards the end, it's always nice to hear specifics about Bitfinex. Because it gets really important at points in the market where you should pay attention. So that was really cool. Uh, and also the Tether stuff. Uh, I was broadly satisfied. I- I'm sure there'll be many people who won't, who won't be satisfied with how we approached it. Because we chose not to kind of focus on the past as much as the present uh, and the future. Uh, I think if I had to point out the the weakest point, uh, it would be the, the rebuttal to the commercial paper. Where it's essentially like, you know, you didn't affirm the point i made where do you want to either basically dox your counterparties or move away from it he essentially said neither uh, and his argument was you know it's all liquid the ratings are good um we meet all our redemptions and i guess the bittersweet kind of follow-up point was but if by regulation we have to give the full breakdown of reserves we will so that kind of commercial paper and moving away from it argument was the only bit where i thought like you know not not a perfect answer or at least not fully satisfactory uh, but overall uh quite reasonable those are my kind of quick thoughts doug what would you make of it
2: yeah i mean i i broadly agree i generally on the tether side of things and i know i'm gonna get stoned for this but like i i don't think it's gonna go away um i'd be surprised if it does i mean seems to be like a business well run or at least like a profitable one so And you have a lot of choices as a consumer, right?
0: You can, like, as a market participant, you can express a wide number of choices. If you think it's bullshit, you can you can short it, right? Uh, If you think it's bullshit but don't want the direction, like the the risk of taking that position, uh, you can quite easily swap between stablecoins nowadays, um, and just not use it at all, right? and, And nowadays, even if it's like a BTC USDT pair, I'm sure you can find like other futures contracts or instruments where you you don't like tether isn't in the trading pair so because we're so spoiled for choice you can basically go anywhere on the spectrum from just avoiding it to like outrightly trying to short it to zero right so i think it's um you know you you have all the tools at your disposal to express your views about tether whatever they may be
2: yeah and i mean in general like if you're really really and i mean a lot of like some of the people that are going to listen to this are going to be in this camp if you really really think that like it's all just made up bullshit i would just recommend just staying out of the space because at the end of the day like if you if you're that terrified i mean it might just not be for you right and that's kind of like the the best thing that you can do if you don't want to take any risk just stay out of it
0: if you don't want to take any risk then take any risk (laughs) awesome Doug, it's been a pleasure to our audience. Thank you again for listening to us. Hope you enjoyed this little post-podcast follow-up. Let us know if if you did. We'll happily do more. That's all from us for now. See you on Monday Spaces, Tuesday newsletter, Wednesday live stream, and Friday for another podcast guest, most likely. Thanks, Doug, and thanks to everyone else.